As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you the thought and theology of C.S. Lewis with me, Ruth Jackson. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles, resources and podcasts. And you can also register there for the chance to win a free book. If you enjoy listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast, please do consider rating and reviewing it. But now for today's show. In this series, C.S. Lewis expert Professor Alistair McGrath is delving into the Space Trilogy, arguably one of Lewis's lesser-known works of fiction. We'll be exploring the three books in the trilogy, Out of the Silent Planet, Perilandra and That Hideous Strength. Alistair, one of the central ideas in Out of the Silent Planet is the concept of the bent or distorted nature of humanity. How does Lewis explore this idea and, and what does it reveal about his views on things like sin and redemption? Well, one of the themes that is quite important here is that, if I can put it like this, if a world is contaminated, then that contamination can spread. And the issue, therefore, is what can be done to resist this? So it's a very interesting idea. And Lewis clearly is drawing on this. And he depicts Earth as... Um, as a flawed, a fallen world, um, and takes us further in saying, and this fallenness is capable of being spread by human agency. Now, his description of the way in which we're fallen is quite interesting. Um, there's one passage that talks about um, human beings wanting to be like a god, except that you use the, the kind of... Um, Malachandran word for God, and and it's this idea that uh, you know human beings are envious; they want to be like a god themselves, and that's the problem they have. And of course, that goes straight back to the Genesis creation narrative, and of course, the fall. So, I think one of the issues that is really quite interesting here is the question of whether Lewis is saying once one place gets contaminated and interspace travel becomes possible, does that mean the contamination is spread? Or doesn't mean actually the contamination can be reduced by others doing something about. And Lewis doesn't really resolve this, but in this narrative, the key point being made is here is a very obvious example of um, two representatives of the human race who clearly have designs on this innocent planet. And if those designs are implemented, it will radically change and be populated simply by human beings who are fallen. So if you like, it's, it's, it's a way of reflecting on how the contamination on Earth can be spread elsewhere. 
Alistair, if Malakandra is a kind of innocent world, as you suggest, they're sin-free world, then do you think we're perhaps seeing the existence of death and natural suffering in that sin-free world um, in this book? And if so, do you think Lewis is perhaps suggesting that death and suffering maybe wasn't a result of the fall here on Earth? Well, I think Lewis is using this narrative as a way of raising questions. I don't think he's answering them. He's saying... Doesn't my narrative raise these questions for you? I mean, if you look at the Malacandran landscape, I mean, it, it does seem to be rather different in terms of, um, you know, what forms of natural suffering you observe. Where does that take you? And, and I think what, what Lewis is doing is not saying, I'm answering your questions. He's saying, I'm giving you a framework to reflect on these questions and begin to ask um, what, what options you might come up with. I don't myself think Lewis is disclosing his own view on the relationship between sin and suffering. I think he's giving us a framework to think about this. And we've talked about um, the sort of the theory of evolution a little bit. But do you think then Lewis thinks that a traditional view of the fall is difficult to reconcile with the theory of evolution? Is that is that something that he's perhaps exploring here? It could be. I, mean, I think that, that um, if you put various elements together, you could possibly say that's so. Um, I'm not sure Lewis really is, 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 is explicitly doing this. I think he's, again, giving you a framework if you want to explore this. But I, I think it, it's, it's a kind of sideline to the main point he's making, which is slightly different. But nevertheless, he is, I think, I, in that you've raised the question, it clearly is a good question. I think Lewis is just saying, how does this narrative help us reflect on that question? But do you think Ransom is perhaps echoing some of Lewis's own questions, his own thoughts, um, when he's asking about the problem of suffering? Uh, at one point, he asks where a particular type of natural suffering um, could have been prevented. He's sort of asking, you know, where was God in all of this? Why did it happen? Is that something that Lewis would have perhaps been asking through the character of Ransom? I think I think it is. I think that there are a number of questions that Lewis is exploring. I think one of them, which um, is hinted at at various points, is um, you know, worlds don't last forever, and neither do races. And, and I think that Lewis is really wondering whether whether the human race is going to make itself extinct by some very bad choices it's making. And I think what Lewis really had in mind was the collapse of civilization. But of course, since the advent of um, uh, nuclear weaponry, and of course, with the rapid spread of climate change, you can see that actually this idea that maybe we are instrumental in our own extinction actually might be a viable idea. And maybe Lewis was hinting at something like that, although, of course, he would not have known of either climate change or nuclear weaponry at the time of writing this book. Do you think the way that the Malacandrians view suffering is significant? They seem to perhaps think that it's kind of less of an issue. That Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I have a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. 
As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time. And some of Tom Wright's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask Inti Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash C.S. Lewis. That's premierinsight.org forward slash C.S. Lewis. Thank you. And humans, is, is Lewis sort of implying anything by that? Is he putting forward a particular theory or philosophy, do you think? I think he is. I think he, he is saying that, in effect, our fixation on why is there suffering is perhaps an over-intellectualization of something which is just the way things are. I think that uh, there's a sense in which uh, Lewis is saying, we have this fixation on us in our world. Here they don't. And maybe this is a better way of looking at it. So again, it's one of these things where you use the narrative as a way of opening up a question for readers. And the question really is, are we overindulging in reflection on suffering? Shouldn't we be doing something to make it better rather than trying to fitted into a big worldview. And is the way that the Malachandrians view death significant? Because again, that seems to be quite at odds with the way that humanity would generally view death. Well, I think this idea of um, making a big deal out of death, for example, by having coffins, is quite interesting because, again, Lewis isn't necessarily saying we overdo this. But what he is saying is here is an alternative where perhaps there's a more healthy and more viable attitude towards death. Now, I don't know about this, but, you know, we have to bear in mind that Lewis's mother died of cancer and the funeral arrangements for that were actually a bit traumatizing for Lewis. He was a very young boy at the time. And it was quite possible he's, he's kind of working through something from his own history here in terms that can help other people work it through as well. And is there kind of a theological implication to all of this? Because there's a line where the God figure, whatever you want to call it, in this story says, the weakest of my people does not fear death. If you were subjects of Maladil, um, the, the other kind of God figure, you would have peace. Is, is Lewis, do you think, sort of implying something by that line? Well, I think he is. I think he's saying that if you have a deep conviction that there is life beyond death, then you're not going to worry about this and you're not going to make, make a big fuss about it. I mean, it just, it's, it's like coming into the world. That's very nice and you mark the occasion. But when you leave, well, you mark the occasion, but you believe you're going on somewhere better. And what Lewis I think, may be doing here is, is kind of way asking us to renormalize things. You know, here, here's a different way of thinking about death. Um, uh, comparing it with a different way of thinking about birth, in fact. And I think one of the points he's bringing out is that it doesn't have to be the way it is. Actually, maybe we need to rethink whether the way we approach death perhaps is is excessive. Perhaps we need to be less worried about it and, and mark it in a more 
simple way. Now, are there any other kind of big apologetic ideas, do you think, that Lewis weaves into the narrative of Out of the Silent Planet? I think that there are a number of apologetic themes that are implicit in the narrative. And again, it's as if Lewis is planting these seeds for us to find and reflect on. For me, one of the um, <clears throat> one of the most important things really is the apologetic theme that you need you need a, a controlling narrative to decide what's right and what's wrong, and that's why I think it's very interesting to compare um, Ransom, Divine, and Western because they clearly have very different controlling assumptions, and these mean they work out in very different ways. Maybe Lewis is saying to us, "Look, maybe the outcome." of your controlling narrative is an indicator of its truth. Just a thought, but a very interesting thought. Alistair, as we come to the end of discussing this book, is there a particular passage that stands out to you in Out of the Silent Planet? I think, um, yes, probably, but for the wrong reason. And it, it's the <laughs> description of the voids itself, um, because it, it does it does really reflect what people thought of it back then. And of course, um, it's changed a lot. But it's still Listen. very, very um, interesting to see how the way in which we think about the future is actually very heavily shaped by what the present is like. And of course, that means we rethink things now. And of course, Lewis was doing his best to visualize this during his own time, but actually that's changed a lot. People construct both the past and the future in the light of what they're familiar with. I think that's what we see happening uh, with Lewis in that voyage description. Alistair, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast with me, Ruth Jackson. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles, resources and podcasts. And do register there for the chance to win a free book. That's premierunbelievable.com. If you enjoy listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast, please do consider rating and reviewing it. Thank you for listening and see you next time.